welcome to this month's The Improv Teachers. I'm your host, Lauren Morris, and I'm super excited for another episode. Today, we welcome Caitlin Kunkel. Caitlin is a comedy writer, satirist, and a highly acclaimed pizza scientist. Caitlin teaches all over the place, including online for the Second City and places like Washington Improv Theater and Magnet Theater. I was lucky enough to take her online writing satire class via Second City, and it was a lot of fun. This is a little different for us uh, because typically I talk to improv teachers, and Caitlin is a teacher who teaches writing. However, there were so many overlaps of satire and improv that I had to jump at the chance to sit down and talk with Caitlin. She also uh, has a book coming out soon called New Erotica for Feminists. And you can learn more about her at CaitlinKunkel.com. So I hope you uh, enjoy this episode as much as I do. And as always, thanks for listening to the Improv Teachers. All right, so I'm excited because today we're going to talk about teaching, but we're going to talk a little... Where you teach uh, writing and you teach comedy writing in addition to other things. So we're going to talk about that process, how teaching... Because I would... Um, to the listeners out there, I took your classes on satire writing, and so I saw a lot of um, overlap with improv and what you were doing writing. So I wanted to like delve into that world today and see what that has. So my first question to you is, how did you get into teaching? I got into teaching. Um, I went and got my MFA at Northwestern and writing for the screen and stage. Um, so that gave me the ability to teach at like a higher level. It's a terminal degree, but I actually like have had a ton of teaching experience through like a variety of different avenues. When I was in college, I went to college at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. I did like a teaching internships. So I taught at like a Baltimore middle school, like writing, although, uh, it became clear it was really like kids that were kind of disruptive. So they were being removed from other classes and put into a writing class. Although that I feel like, <laughs> yes, but I feel like what I learned from that is like how to create writing games that were like up and physical because like they couldn't really sit down and like handle it. Um, and like roll with the punches. One kid was clearly just writing a novelization of a video game that he had played. Uh, so we went with it and we all novelized this video game. <laughs> and, um, that I, I think because I was so young, I was like 20 when I started doing that, it was, it seemed more like, okay, I guess this is how you teach. You kind of go with the flow. And then the year after college, I went, um, to Indonesia and I taught English for a year to high school students. So that was through the government. And that was just like the biggest crash course in teaching you could ever ask for. I had 10 classes of 45 students. So every week I went through 450 students. <laughs> so that again was, you know, a different teaching environment. You have to, we had to work a lot with like song lyrics because they didn't have textbooks. So, um, and also they had like, a, there was a lot of rote learning. So trying to incorporate like ways of playing with that and, and like culturally what they had been working with and expanding from that. So that again, still didn't have a lot of formal teaching training, but <laughs> learned on the job. And then after that, I went and got my MFA and, and we did learn like pedagogy and how to actually teach at that point. <laughs> so I did it a little bit backwards. Um, and then from there I went to second city and I went through the writing program and then I asked to be a teacher at that point. <laughs> It sounds like you just naturally enjoy the teaching because a lot of people will come to it out of like, well, I need to make money. <laughs> right? like, uh, yeah, I'm a writer, I'm a comedian, I'm an improviser, and I need to make some money. But it sounds like you always had just sort of like, no, I'll do it. It's I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy working with the learner, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I also am like, not, I'm not an intuitive learner. It takes me a long time to learn things. So I kind of have always had to teach myself things like try to understand why it's not making sense or how I can explain it to myself in another way. So I was always interested in that. And then working with all these different students across different, you know, locations and ages, like the act of trying to explain something in numerous ways to different types of learners is very interesting to me. And so with uh, Second City, you created the satire program, right? I did. Yeah. I had taught uh, briefly in their sketch program. And then I created a class called story for TV and film. Um, and then I moved from Chicago to Portland. And at that time they were kind of piloting their online classes. So I moved story for TV and film online. And then two years later I had gotten into a lot of humor writing online. So I proposed writing, um, a class 
called online satire. And, um, it seemed to me that it, it fit well with the online model because you could do it yourself. It was meant to be read on the internet. So it made sense to give feedback in that way. Um, I don't, I'm sure people do teach improv over the internet, but I don't really know how that would work. <laughs> um, it's weird. We, I mean, we do a lot of coaching over the internet, uh, is what we land up doing. Not so much teaching, but coaching. And there's a lot of people who are like looking into like, how do you teach over the internet? And the problem with improv is that it's a get up and go in the moment you're learning in the moment kind of thing. Uh, so it's a little difficult, but what we learn in there absolutely was, um, there was so much you were doing in the classroom that I was like, Oh my God, this is what we do all the time. Uh, so yeah. So there's, there's a lot of overlap. So with the, um, so how do you go about creating a course? Cause that's a, something that even whether you're online or whether you're in person, uh, I find that improvisers, especially when they're moving from into teaching, uh, many improvisers have absolutely no, like I have instructional design background and I also like, because of my master's degree was teaching in an academic. And so I understood how to create a curriculum, but a lot of people don't. So they'll just kind of go in and do it. And I think it's helpful for them to sort of know, like, how do you, like, what are some steps that you take that you find helpful in creating curriculum? Uh, well, first, it's just like the nuts and bolts stuff, like how long is the class <laughs> and like what do you want to achieve by the end of it? And then you kind of work backwards to break down the steps from there. Um, for me personally, I always write down my own thought process, like step by step. And then I think about how to create exercises to like elicit someone else to go through this, the thought process. Because again, like in a classroom where you're standing in front of people, you could be like, uh, no, try it like this. Like, here's another way of thinking about it. Um, but online you kind of have to write all that stuff down. Um, so if like one week, you know, in the satire class, we're talking about comedic premise and what that is. I define it in a couple ways. I give examples of it in various forms. I ask people to pick it out of <laughs> certain things. So like, again, like you give them the academic thing, you show them examples and you ask them to do it themselves and give them like ways to practice. And then you ask them to write it. So it's like numerous ways of hitting the same skill because some people read the definition, they get it. I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> um, like with game and improv, it's like, yeah, intellectually, I understand what that is. But then when I'm in a scene, I really need a lot of different tools to be able to find the game. Well, right. I mean, and that's what, I mean, that's what, like, I, I swear I uh, teach level one and I'm like, I'm literally, and I will say it, I'm like, I'm going to give you everything you need to know in level one about improv that you'll ever need to know. And then the rest of the levels are just giving you more tools to come at it in different ways because you're going to get it as I just put air quotes podcast, you're going to get it, but you're not going to get it until you practice it over and over with these different tools. And so, yeah, I mean, it's right. It's just that it's reps. It comes down to reps. And also, but like the first level, as you said, and like the first level of satire, like it's giving people a vocabulary, which with they can expand like their own language. So like comedic premise, point of view. Um, I use reps too in writing, which I think some people were confused by, but just like repetitions on the joke. Um, so that by the time, you know, there's three levels of satire online, by the time students get to level three, we aren't adding new terms. We're just like playing variations on the theme at that point. Do you, um, do you have a personal philosophy on your teaching style or your approach to teaching? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, went to grad school, I studied writing undergrad. So I've been in some bad workshops and I'm, I'm not here to convince anyone that they shouldn't be a writer. I think it's actually, I think there are uh, teachers like that. And I think there are people who take workshops so they can, can I swear on the podcast? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. It's my, yeah. So, so they can shit on other people. Like really, I do think that like a lot of people get off on that. Um, and especially because I went to grad school so young, which in retrospect may have been a mistake, but, uh, I felt so insecure. And so like getting really critical feedback without any sort of action step really was crushing. But also the thing I hated the most was when you would get a piece of feedback where like, this needs to be better. And I would be like, literally how I don't like what part. So to me, my teaching philosophy is like, I always provide an example, even if they don't use that. It's like, you know, your list needs to, title needs to be better. Here's an example of what I mean by the elements that have to change. And I'm never offended if a student doesn't take the suggestion, but I know for me personally to hear like your title is bad and that's the end of the note. It's, it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like what direction should I go in? That's the teaching part. So when people leave that part out, it's like, you're not really teaching at that point. 
Right. You're, I, you're just lecturing, right? So it's, uh, yeah, and that was something that I noticed too, because that's also something I do regularly, and that is that action step. Um, I, th- I think that also gets dropped a lot in improv class because a teacher will be like, I don't know, that didn't seem didn't work for me. <laughs> okay. I mean, one, comedy subjective. So, right. Like, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. But two, if you're telling me it's not working for you, like, give me that follow up. So, you know, so like I. I try to, um, and I actually want to, I'm going to, we'll explore that in a second. Um, I try not to focus on like when I'm teaching improv, oh, that was funny to me. Instead, it was like, here's why this was working for me. Cause, and then I'm very much like whatever my objective of the class is that day, like, because it's tying straight back to, because we're working on relationships or we're working on character work or working on object work. And that's why it's working for me. Or, hey, this wasn't working for me because we didn't hit what we had just gone over. So I try not to even go down that funny route yes, with them. Same. Yeah. And that was going to be my question to you. Yeah. Like when you're, no, I was going to say, and I told, when you're, when you're teaching satire and I mean, you're, People who are writing satire are trying to make a point, but they're also trying to do it in a funny way. So, right. So, are yeah, like, do you ever have to focus on this isn't funny? Or do you also try to be like, well, that's subjective, so let me not focus on that? I try, like, when I write the lectures to have, like, a clear rubric for success. So, like, did you follow the form we were working on this week? If you just wrote a monologue when we were doing short lists, then, like, objectively, it, that's it's not working. <laughs> um but I don't focus so much. <laughs> it's not working for what we were doing. I try not to focus so much on like, is it funny? Because I agree funny is subjective. Like, again, like, does it have a point of view? Do I understand what you're saying? Is there a comedic premise? And then I think for most people, like the most basic thing we talk about in terms of a satirical tool is exaggeration out of reality. Did it exaggerate out of reality? Like for almost all beginning writers, that's why a piece is not working or, um, there's no logic to it. Like all the items in the list are random. There's nothing connecting them all. Um, so yeah, I don't even think I even give feedback on whether things are funny most of the time. Um, because I think like most people inherently understand how to heighten, they understand how to exaggerate. Um, so if you push people out of the, out of reality and encourage them to like, give them an example of what you mean by taking it out of reality, um, then they can do it. But yeah, like I try not to, because obviously I have my own personal tastes on what's funny. Um, but I hate when teachers act like their taste is the arbiter of all things. I think that's arrogant and egotistical, and it, it does not serve a student to try to shape them in your image comedically. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I totally agree. And I've had, I've absolutely had improv teachers who are like, I mean, I've had the ones where I love, they're like, hey, so just like go on the journey with me this time around. And like, you know, like I'm going to be giving you what works for me in my point of view. And then I've had teachers who are like, this is what makes things funny. Well, I don't, you know, like, I mean, yeah, like I get, I mean, it's worked for you. Yeah. And, and I like, this is also something that I think teachers, a lot of teachers don't understand. Like there are some people who they are good at improv or writing, but they don't understand why. So when they try to teach, they can't explain their own process. That's why I sometimes like, I hate the, you know, cliche, those who can't do teach. But in some ways I do think it's people who don't have like a natural instinctive talent for something, which can't be explained really. It's just the way you've always been. Um, it's the people who have to work to understand concepts who then can explicate them to others because some of the most talented improvisers and writers I've ever seen or read their work literally cannot explain a concept. So, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lucky them. Uh, it's really interesting that whole like exaggerate out of reality. Cause when, when I teach, I talk about normalizing and that will like kill a scene and so for me, yeah, and like, and what people do is like their like lizard brain wants to protect them, right? And so they're like, oh, I can't be playing off that in a scene because this isn't how real everyday works. And it's like, well, but it, the beautiful thing is it's improv, so we don't have to go by the standards. So I, I love that, like, in writing, like, especially when we were, we were writing, it was like push it farther. And I found my, you, I would find that you would give notes to myself and other students that I give to students in an improv class. <laughs> like, um, and like specificity is one of those. Like it would always crack me up because my feedback a lot of times was like, get more specific, which was hysterical to me because I'm so specific in my play. 
And I'm always like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm not doing that in my writing. Oh, okay. Um, well, so it's not, a, it's not like a one-to-one comparison. Like I know a lot of people who are great at improv who can't write satire and people who write satire who would rather die than ever do improv. Um, but yeah, it, it is so funny how like, yeah, you'll practice, you literally practice specificity every week for hours on end. But then for some reason, when you click into writing mode, because you, you, there is like an editing process when your thoughts are coming out through your fingers on the computer, that's like stopping you a little bit in the moment. And, you know, we talked in one of the classes about being aware of where your roadblocks are. So I think like once you know it, you can start to see it more in yourself. Um, but yeah, that is funny how like the thing you notice the most in others, <laughs> you can't see in yourself. Right. <laughs> I definitely relate to that. <laughs> Um, and I love like the thing I love about the writing is that it also like it starts to go into like the editor brain versus like the clowning brain and and that whole yes anding yourself and that's something that I think um, I think I saw students struggling with whereas I would have no trouble like I have no trouble kicking out a first draft of unless I'm just not in the mood to write but I literally like okay I got to do assignment cool I will it'll be the shittiest you know, errors everywhere, doesn't make sense, structurally is all over the place. So like that whole yes and of uh, just just yes anding yourself through that, I was like, oh, I'm so actually, I'm actually glad I came to structured writing after years of improv. I found that like to be super helpful. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, how, okay, I want, I have so many, like, different things I want to show. Let's stay, let's stay on the, the, yeah, because I'm like, ah, I want to talk about the gender stuff, but let's get there in a second. What, what do you do for your own progress as a teacher? Like, are you, um, are you getting evaluations on your classes? Uh, how do you monitor yourself as a teacher to make sure that you're growing and that you're, you're doing the best version of your, you? That's an interesting question. Um, I sometimes see reviews. Uh, I gotta be honest, uh, administratively don't always see them. So they're not always collected and uh, conveyed to me in a manner in which I would like. So, um, I don't always get to see the reviews. I will say throughout the years, like I, as you know, Lauren, I often email with many of my students. So I get feedback that way. And then I do go back and I would say every two months, I rewrite parts of each of the classes. Um, I insert interviews with students. I Sometimes a student will do an assignment really, really well. And I ask their permission to put it into the class as like an example. I'm always like trying to add more examples. Um, and whenever a student emails me and says they don't understand an assignment, that's, I need to rewrite the assignment. Like it's a compulsion for me. If I feel like I haven't been clear and there's someone who literally can't understand what to do. Um, and especially working online, you know, I work with people in other countries where maybe English is in their first language, you know, people who've never taken an online class. So the clarity of explaining the process, you know, people who have never taken comedy. So I think, I take it really seriously when someone says they don't understand. And then for my own development, I take other classes still. I love to take a class. Ooh, yes. Um, and I do read a lot about like comedy news, but also like the nature of how people learn. Um, and I'm really interested in online learning, which sounds so nerdy, but I, I just really like studying that. Um, but I would say mainly it's feedback from students. And obviously when you can see a student go from like, first draft is a mess to, okay, we like got it up. So it like at least makes sense. And then their next assignment is significantly better. Um, oftentimes I'll email that student and ask like what changed for them in between the two weeks and see if there's like anything I can glean from their, like their leap in knowledge, if that makes sense. Adult learners. What do you find? What do you find challenging? Um, I think there's a tendency to get frustrated really easily. Um, because a lot of times, yeah, yeah, these are people who might be really good at their jobs or like they're, they've reached a level of proficiency in other parts of their lives or like a, a, a level where they understand what they're doing almost all the time. And so, I mean, this is why I love teaching online because if they post a piece and every student says they don't get it, they naturally want to argue with them and me. <laughs> um, but you really can't argue with that. Like it was posted the way it would be read online and people didn't understand it. So in some ways I do feel it's very democratic, even though obviously I see people's names, so you can kind of guess it, you know, their gender identity or whatever. Um, but I don't know how old most people are. They might give you clues, but 
I really don't know. Um, and until satire three, we never see each other's faces. So, you know, they might post an avatar, but I think it's important to like be treating everyone in, in the first two levels. Like they could be from anywhere, have any level of experience. Um, because like, yeah, like you might get someone who has satire experience, but they still blow an assignment. So I want it to be like a, a safe space on the internet where you can come take a class and like not feel like everyone's making fun of you. And I try to make that clear in the classes that like, even though you may have bombed an assignment, like no one's gossiping that you're a bad writer. Like we'll just keep working on it. Um, yeah. So I would say dealing with that frustration, I get a lot of emails offline, uh, sometimes very defensive, sometimes mad. Um, but I rarely have a student who I can't work it through with. There certainly have been some where it's like, you know what, you should probably drop out and get a refund. So, well, I mean, and that's so it's because that whole idea of like pushing back uh, defensiveness, like that's something that comes up in improv as well, because writing and improv are very personal. And and I mean, that they're both very personal. And so like because we're improv is writing on your feet. Right. And so it's still your words. And so they get defensive. And right. Like you said, they're adults. So their regular everyday stuff might be that they are really good at what they do. Um and so, uh, but yeah, I think you, in a, in a way have an advantage, like you said, with like, if everybody is like, no, I don't get it versus when I'm in an improv classroom and I'm like, eh, I didn't get it. They can easily be like, well, you just don't get me. Right. Versus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So because you're not necessarily doing the face to face, how do you, when you do get an offline email of someone being super defensive and really upset, how do you manage that conversation because that's also something that I think is not taught to people who are becoming teachers in improv and maybe in the comedy realm in general of like communicating with the student of like no I hear what you're saying but also here's where we're at yeah well I think first off there's like some things I just don't tolerate like I don't tolerate open insults uh like if like if they call me stupid, I immediately just kick them out of the class. Like we're not, have you ever heard any, have you ever had anyone do that? I have had people, I've only had probably like three or four people like really where I don't even engage with them. I just kick them out. But, uh, it's cause they're using like sexist or racist language. Um, and yeah, it's like, I'm not, ta- I'm not like, I'm a woman, uh, but I'm not here to like make you feel okay about your sexist beliefs. So that's not my job. And even if I were a gender studies professor, it's not my job to educate you how to be a normal human being who exists in the world without being discriminatory. So there are some things where it's like, that's beyond the purview of the class. But if someone's like, you know, I was trying to say this and everyone thought I was being racist and that's not my intent. And they're coming from a place of being frightened that people think they're racist. Then it's like, okay, great. You had a point of view or target issue. So that's like now related to the class. Let's talk about that. If they're really angry, I'm, but they haven't been abusive. I'll communicate with them one time. And if they come, they almost always will come back with, I'm sorry for my tone. Cause I'll say, you know, your tone's inappropriate right back in a way that's more appropriate. And almost always they will, it's just email and they're upset. Um, again, if they're not, they get kicked out. <laughs> um, but I think asking people to take a step back and say, you know, reread that email. Could you, it's 600 words long. Could you send back maybe two sentences with how you really feel and and what is really your issue. Um, because again, like I don't, I only get paid for the time I'm critiquing students in class. So all this emailing is like off the clock. (laughs) Um, So, and again, if someone can't sum up why they're upset, it's not, I'm not a therapist. Like I'm not trying to elicit their deep feelings from them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think you hit on something also, and that is you set up expectations from the get go. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that's super important that uh, teachers don't always do with adult learners, and that is set up expectations. And it could be because we're assuming everyone's an adult. <laughs> it's real. It's. I mean, that's something that I have. Uh, like I thought I knew, but I have learned so many times over and over again, not just from teaching, but from running an improv theater. Yeah, age does not uh, equal emotional maturity. <laughs> Absolutely not. And what I assume people would do, I will get, then we'll all of a sudden get in trouble because they don't. And then I have to back up and then I have to like go on lockdown with like some serious, like, here's the rules. Step one, step one, a, you know, like step one, B. Yeah. 
And that's the benefit I'll say of teaching online is uh, the rules are written in the class. They are emailed out the first week. Like, so it's almost like, and every time someone creates, it's like when you go to a pool and there's a rule that like no squirrels in the pool, you know, someone threw a squirrel in the pool at some point. So every element of the rules, it's like every time someone finds a loophole and manages to try to get, you know, make trouble, I like add that to the rules again. Right. I mean, and that's the other thing too, is these classes are like living and breathing, um, on their own also. And every time you do a round or every time I teach a class, there's something I'm pulling away that for next time, like, I, yeah, I know better. Uh, so let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about that gender stuff for a minute. Um, what's been your experience, uh, as a fee? like, do you, are there a lot of females teaching what you teach? I don't think so. I well now, uh, there's another woman, Brooke Preston, who I've trained to be the secondary teacher in the program. So second city's online satire program is just women. <laughs> um, and the program skews very heavily female. I think in your satire too, it was all women, um, or people who identified as women. And I, we don't have a ton of issues with sexism. I will say, like I said, we do have some, and I kick them out almost immediately because also it's like not cool for other students to have to read someone's list where their point of view is that women are worth less than men. That's like not something you sign up to do. Um, I do tend to get pushback, I would say from male students more often than female students. Um, but I also like, I have, you know, sometimes the most prickly people at the start end up being like your biggest fans because you do like smack them down a little bit. And then, you know, I, I do think my students have respect for me. Um, which is obviously something I work really hard on and something I really demand. Like you can obviously not like a teacher, but to show like blatant disrespect to them is not appropriate for the classroom experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you, and you teach live workshops also. Yes. Um, I know that there are times, uh, especially when I was early on teaching, uh, people would question something and I'd be like, Oh, well maybe you're right. Da, 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 da. And now I'm like, yeah, no, I'll say an interesting point or I'll say you know I think a lot of times again like people like to some people get off on putting someone on the spot um so I just turn it back on them I'll say what do you mean by that expand on your point and they almost always can't or they'll be like oh I don't know what I was saying they start to backpedal like so I, I do think I can be somewhat aggressive when I teach live just because you know, I'm not here for one person to like get their jollies by like confronting me repeatedly. Um, you know, I have said in classes before, like this is a lecture for 14 people. It's not just for you and I to have a one-on-one -on -one dialogue. Like, please contact me after class. Um, because I really, I hated this as a student and I still see it happen all the time. When I take a workshop, one person can hijack the whole experience. So I'm, I'm just over that. I'm over it as a student and a teacher. I've, I just will say, like, you're speaking too much in class. You need to let other people talk. I used to also, like, I had very early on a student just completely hijack the class, and I had no idea how to handle it. Yeah, me neither early on. And, yeah, you, you, that's something you really have to develop. Because it's hard in the moment. It's confrontational. Your heart rate goes up. Like, you start to sweat. Um, so, it's like, I always do it smiling. That's a big thing is, you know, uh, or something I, I instituted a while ago that like really, I think makes it so much better. is like during workshops, you always have someone who goes way over their time. I time everyone on my phone. Now when the alarm goes off, I'm like, that's the end of your time. Um, you're not allowed to take other students time. So that has just like stopped it. It's like, it's very democratic. Everyone has 12 minutes because that's the length of the class. And if you want to take your whole 12 minutes defending yourself and not listening to anyone else's feedback, that's cool. But you don't get 24 minutes to do that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's great that you're finding like management skills within the classroom that work. Uh, yeah. And like an improv, it's basically, hey, look, we don't have time to go over this right now. Come see me after class or, or reach out to me after class. Do you get a lot of the people asking the questions to show that they're smart that are not, not relevant? Right. Yes. Yeah. Or like, yeah, or they have had or they have experience but it's a completely different set of experience and they're they're not seeing that like what we're doing is coming from a different way and they're just not they're just not saying yes to the process in that moment and I'm sure you have like so I'm sure you have this with like people who have writing experience 
they want to show you, well, I, you know, especially if they themselves, it's really interesting because there's, to me, there's a couple of types of teachers. There's a teachers who take workshops because they love learning and that's like me and you and I, and I will just shut up and soak it all in and then later on take what worked and didn't work. And then there's those who are like, but I teach too. And that's, and it can be frustrating. I mean, I, I went through all of UCB's classes and like took an advanced study class and like, were there things I wish the teachers were doing to manage the class a little better? Sure. I would never offer a teaching suggestion to another teacher in the moment or even I have a few times afterwards just because something like inappropriate happened where I was like, you know, from the point of view of another teacher, like I wish you'd shut down that scene that was everyone using crazy racist accents. Like, um, but I would never in the moment interrupt because I, again, that's showing disrespect for the teacher. So yeah, I, but yes, I know what you mean. People are like, well, I'm a novelist. And it's like, that's great. This is a totally different skill. I respect that you're a novelist because I can't write a novel. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't interrupt your novel writing workshop with, well, I write satire. So <laughs> it's not the same thing. <laughs> I feel bad for that novelist, though, because if you're in a room with a bunch of people who write satire, you're getting you're, there's a piece coming out on you. Yeah. Super <laughs> like we're studying your ass and we're about to write 600 words about you. <laughs> oh, my God. So many of my pieces uh, are just from my daily interaction with people who are improvisers. I'm like, and that I'll be right. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I think that's good though. I think you, when, especially when you write satire, because like the way I teach it is like, you know, you have to draw from things you notice and have, have opinions and feelings on like, it does teach you to be like kind of curious and be like noticing like trends or when people act a certain way, like, um, I love a piece by a writer named, uh, Ryan Kantz. Um, and it's called wow weather. And it's just like making fun of how people will like for small talk express amazement at what the weather is doing. Um, and it's great. Like it's, it's, it's a comedic exaggeration of something we've all noticed and it feels like very timeless and true. Um, like, I wish I wrote that piece. I love it. But yeah, the idea of like, okay, this is something we all do. How can I exaggerate that out of reality? Um, and that piece did really well. Cause a lot of people were like, you're right. Sometimes I talk about the weather. Like it's this magical thing I can't understand for no reason. And I'm embarrassed when I'm doing it, but like, can, wow, the wind today, can you believe it? It's so strong rain for four <laughs> days. now. <laughs> I know even it's like humid today in New York. And like my husband was like, wow, it is so humid. Uh, are you, I mean, and you, you've already alluded to it with Brooke teaching the, the second city class also, like, what are you, what are you actively doing to like help that next generation of people who want to teach? Um, that's a good question. So I did train Brooke and, um, I mean, she's amazing. She's an amazing writer, but also she went through the satire program and she was amazing at giving feedback. So I try to like really commend a student repeatedly when they're good at giving feedback. Um, I don't know if I think that's like a innate skill. I do think you can learn it, but there are some people who just like, I mean, Brooke's an incredibly kind, empathetic person. So I know she's not going to like rip on someone. Um, but there are also people who they can just like, I think one thing you have to learn when you give feedback, and I'm sure it's like this for improv is like, you might see 10 things you want to note in a scene, but if you note someone for 10 things, you're going to like blow their mind. So I try to give like three things, three action steps. And some people can't do that. They have to note every single thing. <laughs> um, so I think like when you can see someone's giving concise thoughts, you're like, oh, wow, like, let me commend them for that. Cause that's a skill they should be aware that they possess and maybe develop more. And I always, um, encourage students to start their own groups and give each other feedback, um, ongoing feedback. And, um, I try to model good feedback too. Like, I think, yeah, you learn, like I said, I, I took a lot of bad workshops and you learn what you like and you don't like. And when you have a good teacher and you see someone teach in a way that's like exciting and compelling, you want to pull from them. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, the whole thing with feedback, because I think feedback, uh, at least on the improv side, is definitely, uh, there's there's a whole skill set to learning that, and like, how to approach it, and how to give it, and like, um, and then learning how to read the students, and meet them where they're at, and then differentiate your feedback. Um, and I had a thought, and it just went away, so that's great. But... <laughs> 
but yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely, I think that's an important piece though, is that my feed for me personally, I'm always striving. Uh, I would get frustrated in satire class because my feedback wasn't as on point as like when I'm teaching live in an improv class. And it's probably just because I know my improv and I know my curriculum inside out and I know what I'm looking for versus like I'm honing and learning a new muscle and skill and trying to learn how to feedback. feedback. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also, I always tell, I tell students this more in, in like the first levels, like you should note people on the things you are bad at because that, that also like forces you to practice a skill. If you don't have clear points of view, you should be looking at people's work, trying to pick out their points of view. Um, because you're no, you could be helpful if you're someone who isn't naturally keyed into that. If you're like, I don't understand what it is. Could you tell me what it is? Um, so it's like both sides of the coin, like you're getting a benefit from it, but you're also, you know, helping someone else, uh, with their own work. Um, because I do think sometimes people want to give feedback on the things they're really good at. And that isn't helping you as much as being like, well, I'm really bad at like, not bad. I need to work on, uh, putting hard jokes at the end of my, uh, paragraphs. So I'm going to give notes this week. I'm going to focus on that skill and like try to give people notes on that. And your notes might not be like the best notes, um, because it's a skill you're working on yourself, but I do think they'll come from like a more honest place. And if you're like, you know, this is great. Wow. Can't wait to see the next draft. Like that doesn't help anyone. <laughs> right. Well, that I mean, is so funny. Cause I would find myself like not even commenting on some pieces. Cause like, I'm just going to be like, yay, you did it. And it's hard for me. There are some pieces like, that are really, you don't notice sometimes that sometimes I go out of order when I'm giving feedback, which I'm sure infuriates people, but there are some pieces I read them and it's so clear to me what the next step is. Like in some ways it's because it's like, you know, uh, a simple piece and there's like a few things I could elevate it or it's a student where I know kind of like what they're working on and I can see they need to keep working on that one element. So I know how to phrase my feedback. It's very often like the most complex pieces that have the least things to improve upon that I have the hardest time giving feedback on because I can see they're 90% done. I don't want to like have them deviate at that point. I don't want to send them into a tailspin where they start over from, (laughs) you know, square one. Um, so I don't know about you, but like for me, the high end feedback takes me by far the longest. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why I think, uh, I've heard, like, I tend to like teaching, like for us, our curriculum level one is obviously like the very first level you walk into. So there's a lot of basics philosophy that I'm teaching. And I can note on that all day because you're not hitting the philosophy. You're not hitting uh, what we just defined. The same thing with like teaching Harold because there's very specific action steps versus scene work class with people who are pretty good at what they're doing. I find myself being like, I don't have a note for you, but also that's going to make you heady that I don't have a note for you. Cause yeah. Cause people tend to be like, Oh, she's not giving me a note. So I must be really bad. Yeah. And that's the other thing. And it's interesting to think about that because I, yeah, you don't want to over note. I hate to give notes for the sake of giving notes. So if I really truly do feel like a piece is, is done like to the best of where that author is at this point in time, I try to say that. Um, but then I try to like add an action step, like, you know, you should start a new piece immediately or like something else. Um, and I think it's a little different from improv because obviously, you know, a piece can be done. Learning improv is never done really. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. But that scene can be done, right? Like they made, they made all the strong, the strongest choices they could make in a scene. And I legit have nothing to give on that scene. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to have something in the next scene. So I'll try to be like, Oh, I really liked when you did, like, I'll try to give them the things I like. So like keep doing that. But yeah, there are times. And so I tend not to like to teach those middle classes because that's for, because I'm so like, I want to be giving action steps to people that, those, those middle classes aren't so much about action steps as they are just reps. That's so funny because, I yes, I find satire two the hardest class to teach. Um, I, satire one, I love. We're all learning vocabulary. Like, week one notes are pretty much the same for everyone. And satire three, it's like I know everyone's work so well at that point. It's two months long. Like, we're, like, in it together. Um, it feels really intimate to me. But satire two, yeah, it's like you'll have someone in week one write an amazing piece and just bomb in week two because they're still, like, mastering how to use. And I'm making 
an undulating motion with my hands, like mastering how to use all the skills. And it's like, they can grasp it, but then it gets out of their grasp again. Um, so yeah, it's the most challenging because you want to like praise what they did. But also a lot of times people are like, I don't want to write lists. I want to write more complicated pieces. Um, and so they're trying to level up, but in the process, their writing will be worse for a little bit. So Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're also an editor of uh, the Belladonna Comedy. So let's talk about diversity a bit. Uh, because you, yeah, because you guys started that specifically because you saw there was a lack of diversity. Yeah. We are in a big Facebook group for female comedy writers and... Um, we saw that like so many people had pieces that they weren't able to place because they didn't fit the McSweeney's voice or shouts and murmurs. Um, Reductress doesn't take many contributors or submissions now. So it just seemed like there weren't enough places for like these very funny pieces. Um, and yeah, like is McSweeney's going to publish a period piece? Maybe not, but like we always say like it's comedy by women for everyone and it's um, by women and other marginalized genders. But there are some things like, yeah, sometimes you just want to write, like we've had two pieces recently. One's about to come out on like the period tax, the tampon tax, the luxury tax. And that's like a very niche topic, but like they do really well because the people who read the site are interested in that. Um, and it just felt obviously, you know, like 16% of late night writers are women and there's like all these depressing statistics. And we really just wanted a place where it's like, you know, until it's 50, 50, I guess we're going to have to do this. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. And then we started talking about intersectionality of everything else. Right. So, um, yeah. And that's something that's still, uh, you know, I mean, in my classes as a teacher, um, we tackle diversity in terms of like, like you were saying with the whole, like everyone's doing bad accents on stage. We actually have a very specific, I call it the racist exercise, but we have a very specific exercise that forces people to put on accents and do stereotypes so that we can then stop and be like, why would we not want to do this? Right. Uh, so, so like we tackle diversity through that, but then when I step back as someone who also, teaches other teachers and hires teachers um there's still such a lack of diversity uh there's still such a lack of a female voice um we also like our the theater and my classes tend to skew female as well and i wonder because when you're saying like your second city classes tend to skew female i wonder i always wonder if that's because the teachers are female that's a good point um yeah i so when i went through ucb uh of my core levels two two of my teachers were female. And I really liked that. That like made me feel like a little, like I wouldn't go to an improv school where all the teachers were white men. Like I'd be like, what's the point? Like, um, so yeah, I do think part of it is like attracting the teachers can attract different people. Um, you know, obviously I'm a white woman and there's a huge lack of like racial and ethnic diversity in comedy as well. So that's something that's like the next step for me is like, so now I I've started the space with three other women, um, who are also white women to encourage, you know, submissions by, um, you know, women and other marginalized genders to submit. But like the next step is like, we have to, you know, get different people of different, you know, sexual identities and people who, you know, writers of color and black women and, you know, kind of what we're doing now is like, we're willing to put a lot more editing work into working with new writers. If, you know, they're coming from, you know, maybe they haven't written comedy before, but we like, we'll work with people more because there's a lack of their voices there. And it's hard though. Cause it's like one, I always feel uncomfortable, like, especially online, like getting the people's like backgrounds and like asking direct questions. I, I don't know. I don't feel like that's always appropriate. Well, right. I, Cause it's, I mean, it can be super uncomfortable. Like, so yeah. I mean, like, how do you identify, like we, um, we're working on, uh, like, an LGBTQ jam and maybe even, like, a mini festival. And um, putting, like, and we had and someone who identifies that way. She was the one who went ahead and put out the email for us of, like, hey, we're doing this. So if you identify that way, blah, 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 please reach out to me. And people don't necessarily want to reach out. Like, they don't necessarily want other people to know. And there's so, yeah, there's that issue. And, um, and again, like I, like you don't want to force and and you also don't want to make it seem like, you know, we want your voice for this reason. So 
I think, yeah, what, what we're trying to do is like open up the gateways and like make it easier for someone to submit a piece. Or, you know, if someone's like, I don't, we don't take pitches, but like, I would be more inclined to like read pitches from someone if they were like, I've never written in this format before. Um, but you know, I, I have a thought on this topic that you guys haven't been able to touch on in any way because of, you know, my experience. So would you be interested in this? Like I would talk to someone about that for sure. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's challenging. Cause it's like, you're obviously trying to be like really inclusive, but then you don't want to be offensive or like, you don't want to seem like you're only making it about like one part of someone's experience, which like, I personally don't like it when someone is like, Oh, we need a woman. So we called you. I'm like, that's, you should, I have so many things to offer. You should name those. And then if you want to bring up that I'm a woman at some point, go for it. But like, you're being an idiot. So <laughs> I, it's, it's still very much, um, a struggle. And like, you're probably gonna have the same thing that we have. And that is, uh, in order to get to be a teacher, you first have to go through the process of learning and, you know, and writing or improvising. So in our case, like it would be learning improv, performing improv, and then teaching improv. But if you don't see yourself writing and if you don't see yourself as an improviser, then you're probably not going to start the process to begin with. So getting you to be a teacher is an entirely bigger mountain to climb. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so we, so one of the things we do at the Belladonna is we send a newsletter to all the writers, whether they've been like on the site or they've just submitted. So now we have like almost 500 writers who get that newsletter. Um, and we try to include like all the, like, we want everyone to write for the site. Like we're not trying to keep people out. We obviously have to have a standard of what we accept and what will do well for us. But like, we want as many people as possible to write for the site. So we put a lot of time into these newsletters to give people tips and like try to make it so they can find the thing they can write and get on with. Um, and then, yeah, if someone submits a piece and like, typically we don't tend to do a ton of rewrites just cause it's very time consuming. Um, but if it's like a topic where we're like, well, we can't speak about this, but like you've done a good job. There's a few things missing. Let's do some more back and forth. Um, I think like it can manifest in that way as like additional effort beyond what you would normally put in. Um, and I don't mean any of this to sound like condescending. I'm just saying like, you're going to reach, like you said, like there are people who naturally gravitate to the comedy community. It's uh, younger white men a lot of the time, um, or it's people who have acting training or, you know, it, it, it's people who've been told they're funny. And like, I, for the Belladonna, we're trying to reach outside just like people who have comedy experience. Like I want academics to write for us. I want, you know, people who have never written before to be like, well, maybe I can write a short, funny list. Um, so we're trying to reach outside people who like have been told they're funny or taken some comedy training into like people who are living like lives outside the comedy world and then try to make them funny as opposed to like, you get a bunch of funny people, but they're all like ripping on improv classes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an ongoing, it's definitely an ongoing, um, it's, it's just an ongoing issue. And, uh, yeah. And I think it's something that like, because I am female, I don't feel like I can ever take a break from it. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, it's, but I think it's like part of like, and, you know, I've had a lot of great male teachers, and I think this is something, it's not necessarily gendered, although I do think women are better at it because we're socialized this way by society, um, but there's, like, a degree of, like, empathy and awareness where, like, I find teaching in person sometimes very stressful because I feel like I'm monitoring the temperatures, everyone in the room, I can see who's scared, I can see who's taking too much time, I can see, you know, who feels really uncomfortable, so it's hard to regulate all that in the moment. Um, I like online that like, if I read a piece where I'm like, Oh, this writer is, they have something to say. They're not sure how to say it. I can take 20 minutes to think about it and 10 minutes to write the response. Um, whereas like in person, obviously you don't get that. It's like a much higher tightrope. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I think that's something people don't necessarily think about when they walk into being a teacher is that like, it's performative for you as well. And you, yeah, and you will have to learn to monitor and regulate all of that while also leading and facilitating and and getting to your outcomes that you have built in. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Um, And that's why not everybody should do it. (laughs) I agree. I think everyone, especially like, like, there's a lot of like writing teachers who are like, you publish a novel or like you have some success. So you're like, Oh, the next status thing is for me to teach. Um, 
But you really should ask yourself if you, A, want to teach, um, because some people don't, like I said, they can't explain their process or they don't like interacting with beginners in their form. And it's obvious when your teacher has disdain for where you're at (laughs) and there's nothing more distressing than being in a workshop and like someone looking at you, like, why don't you understand this? Like there's, I really think there's nothing worse you can do than make a person feel stupid for not understanding. Um, and that's like another teaching principle of mine. It's like, I'm not here to make anyone separating and I'm not here to make anyone feel like they're less than in terms of intelligence or like what they have to say. Yeah. It's, it's working to get their best version of them in that moment of wherever they are in their, in their, in their journey for sure. Um, any, uh, any last thoughts, any advice to people who are thinking about teaching? I would say, you know, can you explain the thought process behind your own works? You know, if you wrote something that a lot of people liked, but you don't know where it came from, um, or, or you can't extrapolate out why for even your own work, that might be a sign that you might have a hard time, like, explaining concepts to others. Um, I, I would really practice, like, try to explain something to someone else and see if you're able to do it. Um, and, like, I really do think everyone, like, you learn, obviously, by doing, but, like, taking a pedagogy class or, like, even reading online about how to construct a curriculum. Like, I was taught that in graduate school. I learned a little bit when I was teaching in Indonesia um, how to make a lesson plan. Like, the different types of learners, like, even that, like, a kinesthetic learner is real different than other types of learners. Um, so there is, like, I think it's a fallacy when people are like, well, I'm good at it. I'm good at doing it, so I'll be good at teaching it. And I frankly think that's, like, disrespectful to how hard teaching is. Um, so, like, really give respect to the profession and read about it and, like, study good teachers and, you know, look at curriculums. I do like the UCB improv book because I feel like that's, like, a real text um, that very much outlines a curriculum that makes sense to me and, and obviously works to move people through the program. And I do feel I've created that with the satire program now. Like they, they've been up almost three years. So it's like over three years, it's been refined to the point where like people are getting published in the New Yorker from the classes, like McSweeney's a lot. Um, you know, they're going on to make other things of their own. Like it's very cool to see that. So obviously it's working. There's like measurable results. Um, but I, yeah, are the, was the first term in September 2015 as good as S1 now? No. <laughs> it took time to, like, modify it and, like, get it to where, like, it's working a much higher percentage of the time. So I would say, like, yeah, like, obviously, like, start off doing as good a job as you can, but, like, don't think that the first time you teach is the best you could ever do. Like, it's very much – it's like improv. You just need reps. Like, every time I teach an intro satire workshop, I change it again. Um and it would, would it be easier just to take the same piece of paper and not have to go to the printer and like print out another one with like a million pages of notes. Yeah. But do I think the last time I taught it was the best it could be? No, I never think that. So. Right. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter at Kunkeltron, K-U-N-K-E-L-T-R-O-N, like a robot who has my last name and uh, the belladonnacomedy.com and yeah, we have a book coming out in November called New Erotica for Feminists, Satirical Tales of Love, Lust, and Equal Pay. And that came out of uh, a satire piece online. So we got a book deal. <laughs> Yay! Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining Thank you for having me. me.